Section 13 of The Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 5, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 13, Book 23, Chapters 19 to 33. Chapter 19. Particulars relative to wine. We have already described the various kinds of wine, the numerous differences which exist between them, and most of the properties which each kind possesses. There is no subject that presents greater difficulties than this, or, indeed, a more varied field for discussion, it being extremely difficult to pronounce whether wine is more generally injurious in its effects or beneficial. And then, in addition to this, how very uncertain it is whether, the moment we have drunk it, it will be productive of salutary results, or turn out no better than so much poison. However, it is only with reference to its medicinal properties that we are now about to speak of it. Asclepiades has composed a whole treatise, which has thence received its name, on the proper methods of administering wine, and the number of commentators who have since written on this treatise is almost innumerable. For my own part, with all the gravity which becomes a Roman, and one zealous for the furtherance of liberal pursuits, I shall enter into a careful examination of this subject, not, indeed, in the character of a physician, but as a careful investigator of the effects which wine is likely to produce upon the health of mankind. To treat, however, of the medicinal properties of each individual kind would be a labour without end, and quite inexhaustible the more so as the opinions of medical men are so entirely at variance upon the subject. Chapter 20. The Sarentine Wines, Three Remedies, The Alban Wines, Two Remedies, The Falernian Wines, Six Remedies. Our ancestors set the highest value upon the wines of Sorrentum, but at a later period the preference was given to the Alban or the Falernian wines. More recently again, other varieties of wine have come into fashion, quite in accordance with that most unreasonable mode of proceeding, according to which each person, as he finds a wine most to his taste, extols it as superior to all others. Suppose now that all persons were quite agreed as to the superiority of some particular kind of wine, how small a proportion of mankind would be enabled to make use of it. As it is, even the rich never drink it in an unsophisticated state, the morals of the age being such that it is the name only of a vintage that is sold, the wines being adulterated the very moment they enter the vat. Hence it is, by Hercules, a thing truly astounding, that in reality a wine is more innoxious in its effects, in proportion as it enjoys a less extended renown. The three kinds, however, of which we have made mention, appear to have maintained, with the least diminution, their ancient repute. The Falernian wine, if a person should be desirous to know the marked characteristics of wine according to age, is injurious to the health, either too new or too old. At fifteen years it begins to be of medium age. Falernian wine of this age, taken cold, is good for the stomach, but not when taken warm. For an inveterate cough and for quartan fevers, it is a good plan to drink it neat, fasting. There is no wine that quickens the action of the venous system so much as this. It acts astringently upon the bowels and is feeding to the body. It has been thought, however, that this wine is productive of injury to the sight, 
and that it is far from beneficial to the nerves and the bladder. The album wines are more salutary to the nervous system, but the sweet kinds are not so beneficial to the stomach. The rough wines of Alba are even better than those of Falernum, but they do not promote the digestion so well and have a slight tendency to overload the stomach. As to the Surrentine wines, they have no such effect upon the stomach, nor are they at all trying to the head. They have the property also of arresting defluxions of the stomach and intestines. The Caicuban wines are no longer grown. Chapter 21 the Settine wines, one observation upon them, the Staten wines, one observation upon them, the Signian wines, one remedy. Among the wines, however, which still exist, those of Satia promote the digestion, having more strength than the Surrentine wines, and more roughness than those of Alba. The wines of Falernum are not so powerful. Those of Stata are but very little inferior in quality to the wines already mentioned. It is universally agreed that the wines of Signia are extremely beneficial in cases of derangement of the bowels. Chapter 22. Other Wines, 64 Remedies. As to the other wines, they may be spoken of in general terms. By the use of wine, the human vigour, blood and complexion are improved. It is wine that makes up for all the difference between the middle or temperate zone and those which lie on either side of it, the juice of the vine conferring as much vigour and robustness upon the inhabitants of our part of the earth as the rigorousness of the climate does upon the people there. Milk, used as a beverage, strengthens the bones, liquids extracted from the cereals nourish the sinews, and water imparts nutriment to the flesh. Hence it is that persons who confine themselves to these several liquids as a beverage are of a less ruddy complexion than the wine drinker, less robust and less able to endure fatigue. By the use of wine in moderation, the sinews are strengthened, but taken in excess it proves injurious to them. The same too with the eyes. Wine refreshes the stomach, sharpens the appetite, takes off the keen edge of sorrows and anxieties, warms the body, acts beneficially as a diuretic, and invites sleep. In addition to these properties, it arrests vomiting, and we find that pledgets of wool soaked in wine and applied to abscesses are extremely beneficial. According to Asclepiades, the virtues possessed by wine are hardly equalled by the majestic attributes of the gods themselves. Old wine bears admixture with a larger quantity of water and acts more powerfully as a diuretic, though at the same time it is less effectual for quenching thirst. Sweet wine, again, is less inebriating, but stays longer on the stomach, while rough wine is more easy of digestion. The wine that becomes mellow with the greatest rapidity is the lightest, and that which becomes sweeter the older it is, is not so injurious to the nerves. Wines that are rich and black are not so beneficial to the stomach, but at the same time they are more feeding to the body. Thin-bodied rough wines are not so feeding, but are more wholesome to the stomach, and pass off more speedily by urine, though they are all the more liable to fly to the head, a remark which will apply, once for all, to liquids of every kind. Wine that has been mellowed by the agency of smoke is extremely unwholesome, a fraudulent method of preparation that has been invented in the wine lofts of the retail dealers, 
at the present day however this plan is adopted in private families even when it is wished to give the appearance of maturity to wines that have become carious indeed this term carious has been used very appositely by the ancients with reference to wines for we find that in the case of wood even smoke exercises a caustic effect upon the carious parts and eats them away and yet we on the other hand persuade ourselves that an adventitious age may be imparted to wines by the bitter twang derived from smoke those wines which are extremely pale become more wholesome the older they are the more generous a wine is the thicker it becomes with age while at the same time it contracts a bitter flavour which is far from exercising a beneficial effect upon the health to season another wine that is not so old with this is nothing less than to make an unwholesome preparation the more of its own natural flavour a wine possesses the more wholesome it is and the best age for wine is that which naturally belongs to it a medium age being the one that is most generally esteemed chapter twenty three sixty one observations relative to wine persons whose wish it is to make flesh or to keep the bowels relaxed will do well to drink while taking their food those on the other hand who wish to reduce themselves or prevent the bowels from being relaxed should abstain from drinking while taking their meals and drink but a very little only when they have done eating to drink wine fasting is a fashion of recent introduction only and an extremely bad one for persons engaged in matters of importance and requiring a continued application of the mental faculties wine no doubt was taken fasting in ancient times but then it was as a preparative for sleep and repose from worldly cares and it is for this reason that in homer we find helen presenting it to the guests before the repast it is upon this fact too that the common proverb is founded which says that wisdom is obscured by wine it is to wine that we men are indebted for being the only animated beings that drink without being thirsty when drinking wine it is a very good plan to take a draught of water every now and then and to take one long draught of it at the last cold water taken internally having the effect of instantaneously dispelling inebriation it is strongly recommended by hesiod to drink undiluted wine for twenty days before the rising of the dog star and as many after pure wine too acts as an antidote to hemlock coriander henbane mistletoe opium mercury as also to stings inflicted by bees wasps hornets the phalangium serpents and scorpions all kinds of poison in fact which are of a cold nature the venom of the haemorrhois and the presta in particular and the noxious effects of fungi undiluted wine is good too in cases of flatulency gnawing pains in the thoracic organs excessive vomitings at the stomach fluxes of the bowels and intestines dysentery excessive perspirations after prolonged fits of coughing and defluxions of various kinds in the cardiac disease it is a good plan to apply a sponge soaked in neat wine to the left breast in all these cases however old white wine is the best a fomentation of hot wine applied to the genitals of beasts of burden is found to be very beneficial and introduced into the mouth with the aid of a horn it has the effect of removing all sensations of fatigue it is asserted that in apes and other quadrupeds with toes the growth will be impeded if they are accustomed to drink undiluted wine 
Chapter 24. In what maladies wine should be administered, how it should be administered, and at what times. We shall now proceed to speak of wine in relation to its medicinal uses. The wines of Campania, which have the least body, are the most wholesome beverage for persons of rank and station, and for the lower classes the best kind of wine is that which is the most pleasant to the person who drinks it, provided he is in robust health. For persons of all ranks, however, the most serviceable wine is that the strength of which has been reduced by the strainer, for we must bear in mind that wine is nothing else but juice of grapes, which have acquired strength by the process of fermentation. A mixture of numerous kinds of wine is universally bad, and the most wholesome wine of all is that to which no ingredient has been added when in a state of must. Indeed, it is still better if the vessels even in which it is kept have never been pitched. As to wines which have been treated with marble, gypsum or lime, where is the man, however robust he may be, that has not stood in dread of them? Wines which have been prepared with seawater are particularly injurious to the stomach, nerves and bladder. Those which have been seasoned with resin are generally looked upon as beneficial to a cold stomach, but are considered unsuitable where there is a tendency to vomit. The same too with must, boiled grape juice and raisin wine. New wines seasoned with resin are good for no one, being productive of vertigo and headache. Hence it is that the name of crapula has been given equally to new resin wines and to the surfeit and headache which they produce. The wines above mentioned by name are good for cough and catarrh, as also for celiac affections, dysentery and the catamania. Those wines of this sort which are red or black are more astringent and more heating than the others. Wines which have been seasoned with pitch only are not so injurious, but at the same time we must bear in mind that pitch is neither more or less than resin liquefied by the action of fire. These pitched wines are of a heating nature, promote the digestion, and act as a purgative. They are good also for the chest and the bowels, for pains in the uterus, if there are no signs of fever, for inveterate fluxes, ulcerations, ruptures, spasms, superated abscesses, debility of the sinews, flatulency, cough, asthma and sprains, in which last case they are applied in uncleansed wool. For all these purposes the wine is preferred which has naturally the flavour of pitch, and is thence known as picatum. It is generally agreed, however, that the produce of the wine called Helvenaca, if taken in too large a quantity, is trying to the head. In reference to the treatment of fever, it is well known that wine should never be given unless the patient is an aged person or the symptoms are beginning to abate. In cases of acute fever, wine must never be given under any circumstances except when there is an evident remission of the attack, and more particularly if this takes place in the night, for then the danger is diminished by one half, there being the probability of the patient sleeping off the effects of the wine. It is equally forbidden also to females just after delivery or a miscarriage, and to patients suffering from overindulgence of the sexual passions. Nor should it be given in cases of headache, of maladies in which the attacks are attended with chills at the extremities, of fever accompanied with cough, of tremulousness in the sinews, of pains in the fauces, or where the disease is found to concentrate itself in the iliac regions. Wine is strictly forbidden too, in cases of induration of the thoracic organs, 
violent throbbings of the veins, opisthotony, tetanus, asthma, and hardness of breathing attended with fever. Wine is far from beneficial for a patient when the eyes are fixed and rigid, and when the eyelids are immovable, or else relaxed and heavy. In cases, too, where, with an incessant nictation, the eyes are more than usually brilliant, or where the eyelids refuse to close. The same, too, if that symptom should occur in sleep, or where the eyes are suffused with blood, or congealed matter, makes its appearance in the corners of those organs. The same rules should be observed also when the tongue is heavy and swollen, or when there is an impediment from time to time in the speech, when the urine is passed with difficulty, or when a person has been seized with a sudden fright, with spasms, or recurrent fits of torpor, or experiences seminal discharges during sleep. Chapter 25. 91 Observations with Reference to Wine It is a well-ascertained fact that in the cardiac disease the only resource is wine. According to some authorities, however, wine should only be given when the attacks come on, while others again are of opinion that it must only be administered between the attacks, it being the object with the former to arrest the profuse perspirations, while the latter base their practice on an impression that it may be given with more safety at a moment when the malady has diminished in intensity. And this, I find, is the opinion entertained by most people. In all cases, wine must only be administered just after taking food, never after sleep, and under no circumstances after any other kind of drink, or in other words, only when the patient is thirsty. In no case whatever should it be given except at the very last extremity. Wine is better suited to males than to females, to aged people than to youths, to youths than to children, and to persons who are used to it, than to those who are not in the habit of taking it. Winter, too, is a better time for using it than summer. As to the quantity to be prescribed and the proportion of water to be mixed with it, that depends entirely upon the strength of the wine. It is generally thought, however, that the best proportions are one caiaphus of wine and two of water. If, however, there is a derangement of the stomach, and if the food does not pass downward, the wine must be given in a larger proportion. Chapter 26. Artificial Wines Among the artificial wines, the preparation of which we have described, there are some which, I think, are no longer made, in addition to which it would be a mere loss of time to enlarge upon their medicinal effects, having expatiated elsewhere upon the properties of the various elements of which they are composed. And then, besides, the conceits of the medical men in relation to these wines have really passed all bounds. They pretend, for instance, that a wine extracted from turnips is good for recruiting the exhausted strength, after exercises in arms or on horseback, and not to speak of other preparations, they attribute a similar effect to wine of juniper. Who is there, too, that would think of looking upon wormwood wine as superior in its effects to wormwood itself? I shall pass in silence the rest of these preparations, and among them palm wine, which is injurious to the head, and is beneficial only as a laxative to the bowels, and as a cure for spitting of blood. We cannot, however, look upon the liquor which we have spoken of under the name of Bion as being an artificial wine, for the whole art of making it consists merely in the employment of grapes before they have arrived at maturity. 
this preparation is extremely good for a deranged stomach or an imperfect digestion as also for pregnancy fainting fits paralysis fits of trembling vertigo gripings of the bowels and sciatica it is said too that in times of pestilence and for persons on a long journey this liquid forms a beverage of remarkable efficacy chapter twenty seven vinegar twenty eight remedies wine even when it has lost its venous properties still retains some medicinal virtues vinegar possesses cooling properties in the very highest degree and is no less efficacious as a resolvent it has the property too of effervescing when poured upon the ground we have frequently had occasion and shall again have occasion to mention the various medicinal compositions in which it forms an ingredient taken by itself it dispels nausea and arrests hiccup and if smelt at it will prevent sneezing retained in the mouth it prevents a person from being inconvenienced by the heat of the bath it is used as a beverage also in combination with water and employed as a gargle it is found by many to be very wholesome to the stomach particularly convalescents and persons suffering from sunstroke used as a fomentation too this mixture is extremely beneficial to the eyes vinegar is used remedially when a leech has been swallowed and it has the property of healing leprous sores scorbutic eruptions running ulcers wounds inflicted by dogs scorpions and scolopendri and the bite of the shrew mouse it is good too as a preventative of itching sensations produced by the venom of all stinging animals and as an antidote to the bite of the millipede applied warm in a sponge in the proportion of three sextarii to two ounces of sulphur or a bunch of hyssop vinegar is a remedy for maladies of the fundament to arrest the hemorrhage which ensues upon the operation of lithotomy and indeed all other operations of a similar nature it is usual to apply vinegar in a sponge and at the same time to administer it internally in doses of two chiaffi the very strongest possible being employed vinegar has the effect also of dissolving coagulated blood for the cure of lichens it is used both internally and externally used as an injection it arrests looseness of the bowels and fluxes of the intestines it is similarly employed too for procedence of the rectum and uterus vinegar acts as a cure for inveterate coughs defluxions of the throat hardness of breathing and looseness of the teeth but it acts injuriously upon the bladder and the sinews when relaxed medical men were for a long time in ignorance how beneficial vinegar is for the sting of the asp for it was only recently that a man while carrying a bladder of vinegar happened to be stung by an asp upon which he trod found to his surprise that whenever he put down the bladder he felt the sting but that when he took it up again he seemed as though he had never been hurt a circumstance which at once suggested to him the remedial properties of the vinegar upon drinking some of which he experienced a cure it is with vinegar too and nothing else that persons rinse the mouth after sucking the poison from a wound this liquid in fact exercises a predominance not only upon the various articles of food but upon many other substances as well poured upon rocks in considerable quantities it has the effect of splitting them when the action of fire alone has been unable to produce any effect thereon as a seasoning too there is no kind that is more agreeable than vinegar 
or that has a greater tendency to heighten the flavour of food. When it is employed for this purpose, its extreme tartness is modified with burnt bread or wine, or else it is heightened by the addition of pepper and of laser. In all cases, too, salt modifies its strength. While speaking of vinegar, we must not omit to mention a very remarkable case in connection with it. In the latter years of his life, Marcus Agrippa was dreadfully afflicted with gout, so much so, in fact, that he was quite unable to endure the torments to which he was subjected. Upon this, guided by the ominous advice of one of his medical attendants, though unknown to Augustus, at the moment of an extremely severe attack, he plunged his legs into hot vinegar. Content to purchase exemption from such cruel torments as he suffered, if even at the price of all use and sensation in those limbs. Chapter 28 2. Squill Vinegar 17 Remedies. Squill vinegar is the more esteemed the older it is. In addition to the properties which we have already mentioned, it is useful in cases where the food turns sour upon the stomach, a mere taste of it being sufficient to act as a corrective. It is good too when persons are seized with vomiting while fasting, having the effect of indurating the passages of the throat and stomach. It is a corrective also of bad breath, strengthens the teeth and gums, and improves the complexion. Used as a gargle, squill vinegar remedies hardness of hearing and opens the passages of the ears, while at the same time it tends to improve the sight. It is very good too for epilepsy, melancholy, vertigo, hysterical suffocations, blows, falls with violence, and extravasations of blood in consequence, as also for debility of the sinews and diseases of the kidneys. In cases of internal ulceration, however, the use of it must be avoided. Chapter 29. Oxymeli. Seven Remedies. The following, as we learn from Diuches, was the manner in which Oxymeli was prepared by the ancients. In a cauldron they used to put ten minae of honey, five heminae of old vinegar, a pound and a quarter of sea salt, and five sextari of rainwater. The mixture was then boiled together till it had simmered some ten times, after which it was poured off and put by for keeping. Asclepiades, however, condemned this preparation and put an end to the use of it, though before his time it used to be given in fevers even. Still, however, it is generally admitted that it was useful for the cure of stings inflicted by the serpent known as the seps, and that it acted as an antidote to opium and mistletoe. It was usefully employed also warm, as a gargle for quincy and maladies of the ears, and for affections of the mouth and throat. For all these purposes, however, at the present day, oxalmi is employed, the best kind of which is made with salt and fresh vinegar. Chapter 30. Sapper. Seven Remedies. Sapper has a close affinity with wine, being nothing else but must boiled down to one-third, that which is prepared from white must is the best. It is used medicinally in cases of injuries inflicted by cantharides, the buprestis, the pine caterpillars known as pitiocampi, salamanders, and all venomous bites and stings. Taken with onions, it has the effect of bringing away the dead fetus and the afterbirth. According to Fabanius, it acts as a poison if taken by a person fasting immediately after the bath. Chapter 31. Lees of Wine, 
12 remedies. Next in the natural order come the lees of these several liquids. The lees of wine are so extremely powerful as to prove fatal to persons on descending into the vats. The proper precaution for preventing this is to let down a light first, which so long as it refuses to burn is significant of danger. Wine lees, in an unrinsed state, form an ingredient in several medicinal preparations. With an equal proportion of iris, a liniment is prepared from them for purulent eruptions, and either moist or dried, they are used for stings inflicted by the phalangium and for inflammations of the testes, mammillae, and other parts of the body. A decoction of wine lees is prepared too with barley meal and powdered frankincense, after which it is first parched and then dried. The test of its being properly boiled is its imparting, when cold, a burning sensation to the tongue. When left exposed to the air, wine lees very rapidly lose their virtues, which, on the other hand, are greatly heightened by the action of fire. Wine lees are very useful too, boiled with figs for the cure of lichens and cutaneous eruptions. They are applied also in similar manner to leprous sores and running ulcers. Taken in drink, they act as an antidote to the poison of fungi, and more particularly if they are undiluted. Boiled and then rinsed, they are used in preparations for the eyes. They are employed also topically for diseases of the testes and generative organs, and are taken in wine for strangury. When wine leans have lost their strength, they are still useful for cleansing the body and scouring clothes, in which case they act as a substitute for gum acacia. Chapter 32 Lees of Vinegar, 17 Remedies The lees of vinegar, as a matter of course, considering the material from which they are derived, are much more acrid than those of wine, and more caustic in their effects. This substance prevents the increase of suppuration, and employed topically is good for the stomach, intestines, and regions of the abdomen. It has the property also of arresting fluxes of those parts, and the catamenia when in excess. It disperses inflamed tumours which have not come to a head, and is a cure for quincy. Applied with wax, it is curative of erysipelas. It reduces swellings of the mammillae when gorged with milk, and removes malformed nails. Employed with polenta, it is very efficacious for the cure of stings inflicted by the serpent called Kerastes, and in combination with melanthium, it heals bites inflicted by crocodiles and dogs. Vinegar lees too, by being subjected to the action of fire, acquire additional strength. Mixed in this state with oil of mastic and applied to the hair, they turn it red in a single night. Applied with water in linen as a pessary, they act as a detergent upon the uterus. Chapter 33 Lees of Sapper, four remedies. The lees of sapper are used for the cure of burns, it being the best plan to employ with them the down that grows on the reed. A decoction too of these lees is good for the cure of an inveterate cough. They are boiled also in a saucepan with salt and grease as an ointment for tumours of the jaws and neck. End of section 13